out in the desert. Neighbors claims they practice witchcraft. Well, well, hello. Oh, I got it first. You stepped on my line. I got it first. You stepped on my line. I got it first. Okay, we'll go. Tell us about go. it. I don't want to go. Open the show. I don't want to go. Then. I'm, all right, fine. Welcome to the show. It's a show. Um, I'm not going to tell here, you which show it is. I, I sit here. Uh, Katie sits here. We talk to you about, you know. Everything from uh, fucking coffin births. We talk to you about death and and everything that's horrible. I mean, we talk about the fucking uh, uh, what do you call the? We uh, talk to you about Australia. Australia a lot. Yeah, lots of murder happens on this show. It, it's the haunted heart, and that's why we we do those things. We talk to you about all that creepy shit. That stuff that just fucking raises the hair on the back of your fucking neck. And I was I was worried about what body part you were gonna input there. Uh, it raises the hair on your back if you're if you're me. Um. Anyway, yeah. Welcome to the show. Uh how's it been? It's been fine. It's been fine. You always look at me like you expect me to answer that question, how's but you know, been? I know how, you how, know how it's been. <laughs> I'm looking at you, but I'm directing it here. to to everyone else. I hope you've been doing well. I hope that you have been, you know, protecting yourself mentally, and that you're doing great. If you're not, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I do apologize. If you're not, whoop, whoop, whoop. And I do apologize. Yeah, most definitely. This is so. what happens when we forget to burn our sage before the show, folks. We didn't burn our sage before we the didn't. show. I'm going to no. burn some while you get, uh, you get, get that started. You get that sage, actually. Use the new sage, too. So I can't reach the new oh sage. Oh, my God. Oh, this is great. I have these little short-ass arms. Little short stubbly arms. I'm sure that won't be loud at all. <laughs> no, it it won't. Excellent. You can burn our new sage. We actually got some uh, new sage that we purchased from our friends, uh, Fire and Lux. So they've got some really cool places. We've actually shouted them out uh, before Several on the times show. On the show, because um, mm-hmm. they are really awesome. But. Um, you can find them on Instagram if you just search their handle, Fire and Lux. That's F I R E and L U X. Um, and they've got their. I love well, that you still spell things for me. Because you could spell it L U X E. What the fuck? Lux. Oh, L U X E. I was thinking L U C K S. Lux. You know, like, like Lucky Clucks. Like luck be a lady tonight? No, <laughs> lady luck. <laughs> lady luck. This might be the best open we've ever done. I, I can think it's brilliant. Um, if you're new to the show, this is it's a struggle for us to open this fucking piece of shit show that we've got going on here. <laughs> kind of like an tell. old car where you like go, you put I, the you put the key <laughs> in the ignition, and you go to like crank it and the bitch just won't turn over that's this that's what this is so (laughs) they're just and the listeners are actually the driver of the car and they're just like come on come on get to it you can do it you can get to the point of the show you can definitely get to the point of the show but yeah uh my other point before we get to our actual point of the show is to just please check them out fire and lux they've got some great products love them support um independent businesses you know we're all for that so we are got some great shit check it out 
I will say some good news. Some good Supreme Court action happened uh, uh, recently, which is awesome. We love to hear it. Now, if we could just, you know, we've got the job security. Now, if we could just get the health care part as well, that would be that would be great. The aces would be the that would be great. The correct direction. So you know, some some small light amidst the chaos of 2020. Yeah, I think I think it. we're gonna we're it's just a, it's just a rocky time. It's just a rocky, ugly duckling phase. We're gonna we're yeah. gonna we're trending in the right direction. I believe in progress, and I think that we're gonna. I think we're going to emerge out of the hell pit that is 2020 uh, better than we were before. I think I think a lot of people are um, a lot of people are waking up and becoming aware of privilege that they had that they hadn't previously acknowledged. A lot of folks are are you know educating themselves and reaching out and you know trying to build a better world together. But the key there is together. It takes everybody, mm-hmm. and everybody's voice is important. Everybody needs to come together to build a better mm-hmm. future for the benefit of everybody. Even podcasters' All voices. <laughs> Even our voices. Uh, yeah, just like Rocky going up those steps. You know, maybe one day we'll make it to the top. Maybe we can go by those steps. I think that was filmed in Philly. Ooh. If I get this wrong, I feel like people are going to be upset. I think it was filmed in Philly. Maybe we can go by those steps when we go to uh, Eastern State. Potentially. Penitentiary. Potentially. I can't say that word. Did you notice that on what? that episode? Like penitentiary? Penitentiary. I always turn it into churry. Penitentiary. I think it's supposed to be like penitentiary. You say it? Penitentiary. Yeah. Somehow it turns into like churry with me, like churro. It does with me, churro. But like less fun than churros. The jail, you know, prison, (laughs) prison, prison. Yeah, just just go there. Still mad about them fucking cat statues, though. I'm gonna buy one from the Michaels and I'm gonna drop it off when we go. (laughs) Fucking decomposing statues. Who ever heard? I I still say that it was a great sentiment. I still say that it was great. I I understand that you were very triggered. Let us agree to disagree. (laughs) The artist who created those statues is listening to the podcast, and they're like, well. Unsubscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Unsubscribe. Well, I will not leave a review now. Much like my disappearing cat statues, (laughs) I have removed you from my feet. (laughs) You were here and now you are not. Much like the cats themselves Uh and also the statues that were built to commemorate them. That then disappeared. (laughs) Just like the cats. Anyway... If people Moving haven't on. listened to the previous episode, they're so confused right well, now. you know. That's, and that's fine. That's, but that's their fault. That's what they we call haven't. an Easter egg. <laughs> an Easter egg. Yeah. Yes. Um, shit, it's my week, isn't it? It is. I, I truly cannot express to you, dear listeners, the, the weight that is lifted when I come here to the podcasting space and I light the sage and I light the candles and then I sit down by the glow of the candle secure in the knowledge that I don't have to present anything to you this week (laughs) (laughs) that I am now on your side of the table and I am just a listener just like you I think that's the genius of it all you know Because, like, you are literally just a podcast listener right now. Absolutely. And you're, you know, you've got your blankets and, Mm -hmm. you know, you're all set up and you're all comfy and cozy and and I'm on the spot. 
Absolutely. And the pressure's on me. This is my favorite kind of week. <laughs> week when I don't have to do anything. I know. Oh, there she goes. Except, except she, hasn't, she doesn't have to do anything but create more work for me yeah. in post. Um, Got to. <laughs> Got to keep your editing skills sharp. You can thank me for that. It's yeah. kind of like that Johnny Cash song. You can thank me for the spit in your eye and the gravel in your in your gut. All right. Well, please don't spit in my eye. And y'all, gravel in the gut. Y'all don't know nothing about great. that. Just doesn't sound great. Um. Anyway, yes, it is a me episode uh, today. And uh, I just figured that I would... <sighs> Just make it a little gay, a little LGBT action going on. I mean, Love we're that. in Pride Month right now. And with, uh, you know, like I said, with the news uh, about the Supreme Court ruling, I just think it is on theme, which is perfect for me. Which in itself is gay. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> pretty much for me. I'm wearing anyway. not enough spandex, no glitter. Um, and I don't have my nipple tassels on for this, so I feel really severely <laughs> underdressed. I really, <laughs> really don't appreciate you. I, I think you've got not those. Letting in, me know. I think you've got those in the podcast box, though, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I can go get them, but I've already sat down. You see, that is true. You have sat down. I've so, sat down. Our asses are on cushion right now. Right. They're not going anywhere. But anyway, this just kind of all, uh, I was trying to think about what I wanted to talk about. I knew that I definitely wanted to um, just touch on some topics. I've got um, a pretty interesting story. Okay. Um, Great. And So glad to hear it compared to all your other fucking boring ass stories. <laughs> I've got I a mean, pretty interesting I'm just, story. I'm just saying, this one is, I mean, it's like, I just thought that it was something that I didn't know. Okay. Um, and I actually are we going to talk about docking this week? Like, what no, are we talking about? No, we're not, <laughs> what are we? Not, we're not. We're not something going that there. I didn't know. Oh, we're not going there. Okay, maybe that's next week. Um, but just just a story that I uncovered. Um, but I kind of just wanted to start out. Um, I actually recently uh fell in love with this new show. It's on HBO Max, which apparently is a new thing. Like HBO and Cinemax have combined themselves now. Oh, they're to, that's Cinemax too. Yeah. Oh, I Cinemax. thought it was just like HBO Go, like no, plus plus. No, it's plus. like HBO and Cinemax. Oh, it's the two of them. So they've now that's like combined. Um, and there's this new show on there that's called Legendary, and I just absolutely fucking live for it. And what it is is it's a reality show that's kind of in the vein of Drag Race, except its focus is on ballroom culture. Mm. Um. And they have nine houses who sort of come together to compete in a ball-style competition to win a $100,000 grand prize. Uh, and for anyone who might be unaware, ballroom is just a, this is just a quick 101. Um, but ballroom is an underground culture where house families, mainly comprised of blacks, black and Latinx uh, queer youths who have been displaced from their homes, come together to compete for trophies. And you have different categories that you walk or dance in. Um, this is kind of the scene that birthed the majority, if not all, of modern-day queer culture. From voguing, death-dropping, twirling, duck-walking, and even a lot of the phrases and things that we say today. So the next time, if you're spilling some tea with your sis, you can thank ballroom culture coming from that. So I was really excited when I saw this show, and they have some really great houses 
that are competing, um, and it's really diverse. So one of the major houses competing is a chapter of um, of the House of Ninja, and it's comprised, uh, if I'm not mistaken, of entirely cis women. And I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but I'm of the opinion that a staple in Queer 101 should be the documentary Paris is Burning. I've mentioned this several times. And this documentary really offers tremendous insight into queer life, black life, ballroom life. Uh, And unfortunately, that life, while being so beautiful and powerful, is also really dangerous. Mm -hmm. The world is not a kind place, especially for people of color, and even more so for queer people of color. So I wanted to lean in on a few stories this week um, that have to do with this film in particular. Cool. So that was kind of a little bit of my inspiration behind this. Um, So join me as I take us into an underground world where glamour and status reign supreme, where trophies are currency, reading is an art, and Paris burns hot. have space to do all that you intend to. This movie is about the ball circuit. A competition among gay people under one roof. It's like crossing into the looking glass. A house, their families, kids with broken homes, or no home at all. My name is Angie Extravaganza, and I am the mother of the House of Extravaganza. I'm Willie Ninja, the mother of the House of Ninja. Ninjas hit hard, they hit fast. We come out to assassinate. I'm Pepper LaBeja, the legendary mother of the House of LaBeja. And I've been around for two decades. Raining, that is. They saw me, and they all liked me, all the rest of the extravaganzas. And they decided, well, if you want to become an extravaganza, you have to walk a ball first. And if you snatch a trophy, then you become the extravaganza. That's how it's supposed to work with any everyone. But uh, like that, it wasn't with me. I just became an extravaganza. So the voice that you heard in that clip was from Venus Extravaganza of the House of Extravaganza. Venus was born on May 22, 1965, in Jersey City. Venus began dressing in feminine clothing and performing in her early teens. And when her parents caught on to her lifestyle, she moved away to New York City so that they wouldn't, quote, be embarrassed. In 1983... Hector, founding father of the House of Extravaganza, invited her to join his house. Venus said that Hector was the first gay man that she'd ever met, and throughout the following years helped the House of Extravaganza become known as, quote, the House of Impossible Beauties. As a predominantly Latinx house, um, which is what they were known for, uh, but on Christmas Day in 1988, while filming was still occurring, Venus's body was discovered at the Duchess Hotel in New York City. She had been strangled and was found under a bed. Authorities at the time suggested she had been there for about four days. Hmm. Her killer was never found, and it was speculated, though never proven, that it may have been a John that acted aggressively once they found out um, about Venus, or at least that That's the narrative that the film and several other sources present. 
And in reality, there could have been a number of motives, but sadly, we will probably never know because her murder was grossly underreported and nobody seemed to press the issue too hard. Mm. And I do believe uh, through some Facebook stalking on my part um, that some or all of her family had moved out to California a few years before her murder, and that's where they were at the time of her death. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, Angie Extravaganza, who was a house mother at the time, uh, had to be the one to identify her body and contact the family. So I was going through Facebook and I was like finding names, finding people, looking at dates they graduated. Mm-hmm. I was super Facebook stalking. Research. I was research. I, mean, I was it. what they call a sleuth. Mm, you had your reading glasses on. Uh-huh. I All was, the way down at the tip of your nose, I, I looking was, at those dates. I was looking at, those at these Facebook dates. Credentials. I was looking up. Her, I had her brothers pulled up, and I was like, okay, where were you this year? What happened? And so I think I can deduce that they were in California. The family had moved out that time. Got it. What that provides to the story, I don't know. <laughs> but that's the most but information. It was, like, it was probably like... A long period of, of work. You probably spent a lot of time on that. Yeah, I did. That one actually, detail. I did actually. No, like, I oh, found her mother. No, and I did. Fine. I found her mother's um, obituary. <laughs> all of that. Read through. All, it was a whole thing. Did you I, at least leave a note while you were in there? Hey, girl. No, I didn't. Sorry. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I didn't. I, I, the thought crossed my mind. Like, should I mess it? And, like, and I'm like, no. 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 <laughs> let me not. No. <laughs> I was like, let me. Oh, no. Let me not um but her legacy continues to live through her house which is still active today and throughout the years they brought voguing mainstream when madonna swept in and they have remained extremely influential in pop culture as well as being a huge voice in the fight against hiv and aids since Mm -hmm. then and venus whose namesake is from the roman goddess of love and beauty was an aspiring model whose ultimate goal was to be happy and feel loved. So that is the way that I am going to choose to remember her and the way that I would urge everyone else to remember her as well. Hmm. Because I know that a lot of these stories sort of end tragically, and that tends to be the narrative, but that's not necessarily the way that, you know, they should be thought of the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But... Venus wasn't the only one from the film who had sort of a veil of mystery shrouded over their lives. Dorian Corey, who was mother of the House of Corey, trans woman, also drag queen, fashion designer, known for her elaborate costumes. But feathers and sequins weren't the only thing she had hidden in her closet. Then reading became a developed form where it became shade. Shade is, I don't tell you you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you're ugly. And that's shade. Come on, investigation discovery. (laughs) We love it. We love a cheeky script. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't the only thing, honey. No. No, buried beneath all of the glitz and the glamour, Mother Corey had a secret. The mummified corpse of a man by the name of Robert Worley laid buried in a suitcase. 
with a single gunshot wound to the head. And you want the twist? Experts say he had been there for anywhere from 15 to 20 years. Say what, girl? Yes. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I bring some baggage to my relationships, (laughs) but honey... Not a full-grown man with a bullet uh-huh. hole in his head that I'm dragging around behind me in a trunk, and I just got a bunch of fabrics laid over him. Like, it ain't that bad. It's no. more that, but, like, figuratively. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is still quite as, probably just as heavy, to be quite honest Let's with be you on real. an emotional level. I... However, <laughs> why is this girl dragging this man around in this case? Who is he? Well, did she that's shoot him? We'll, that's what we're gonna. That's what we're gonna find out today on the Haunted Heart Podcast. So, but when you're watching Paris is Burning and you see Mother Corey and all of her fabulousness being interviewed in her apartment, just know that at that same time, the mummified corpse of this person was still buried away in the background. Now, in her apartment. In her apartment. Okay. Yes. I, I wish she was sitting on the case during the during the film. <laughs> Giving her interview, just sitting on top uh-huh. of the case. Well, this is this a picture of her. I'm going to show you a picture of her right here. Oh, Look at that. Okay. Look at that. Look, what she's sitting on. She's sitting what on that damn <laughs> trunk. That's what she's sitting <laughs> Honey, on. Talk about sitting on a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I actually found this uh, New York Magazine article from like 1990 something. I can't even, what, what year is this from? I don't even know. 19, 1994. Uh, and the way that this is, you'll have to forgive me because I'm going to read from this. So this is not, uh, you know, this is not your haunted heart writing. So these right aren't here. your cheeky quips? These, these are somebody else's cheeky from quips? From here on, they're not my cheeky Got quips. Got it, okay. Okay. But this is from a 1994 um, New York Magazine article written by Jeannie Kassendorf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found this buried away like on like maybe the second page of Google, which, you know, nobody ever goes to. Um, and I just had never like, I don't know. I it was there was just a lot in here. And I was like, I have to like read this mm-hmm. because there was so much information that I don't think. You know, a lot of people um, know about possibly that was like left out, clearly left out of Paris is burning entirely. Yeah, there's a lot that like if you watch the documentary that you won't find out about, which they don't mention this at all because right. it was filming. It. Oh, I mean, I imagine but, that would be a very difficult beat to work into your documentary. Like you're trying to like document like queer culture and then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, yeah. And she has uh, a, a mummy stuffed a away mummy in, in her, her truck closet. somewhere. Yeah. Now we're moving on. Now we're going to talk about voguing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here's how to duck walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love that. I wish it was just on a title card and then they said nothing else about it. Right. <laughs> like how they list your credentials but it's just like has mummy and trunk moving on <laughs> mummy and trunk um yeah so here i go i'm gonna start reading from this um so buckle up child it's what dorian told me to do take the costumes i wanted and sell the rest so i had customers they was going to a halloween show a ball No, no, no. It was straight people. They wanted Dorian's capes. She was one hell of a seamstress, honey. 
One time she wore a gold cape that covered the whole ballroom floor. It was the end of the second week of chasing the story of the mummy in the dead drag queen's closet, and I was finally about to hear the story of exactly how the body had been found. The account came from Lois Taylor, the tall, smart-looking drag queen in the, can- in the canary yellow suit and, and pearls and matching canary yellow hat from Paris's Burning. She was an old friend of Dorian Corey's, the wry, aging drag queen who sat at her makeup table in a peach dressing gown spouting words of wisdom in the 1991 documentary. Lois took care of Dorian during the last three years of her life and while she was dying of AIDS. After she died in a hospital bed last August at the age of 56, only 56. Mm, yeah. Um, and also I want to preface, uh, there's a lot of, when I read through this, there's a lot of wording in here that I'm going to try to correct it as I go, but there's a lot of like labeling people as like transvestites when really we're well it was about... from the 90s right right like i so said it was, i just it's it's a product of its time it's a product of its time you know i it is what it is we didn't write it girl it's I from the 90s history's a thing it's a product of its time right we don't endorse this blah blah, blah. Yeah. y'all know what we y'all know what we believe but yeah 56 um lois began selling off dorian's fabulous costumes which is how one morning last October, Lois came to meet her customers at Dorian's fourth floor apartment in a once genteel red brick townhouse on West 140th Street, overlooking one of City College's neo-Gothic arches. They rang the bell where, quote, Leg, the surname Dorian hadn't used in 30 years, had been written in a shaky hand so the home care worker could find her. Then the customers made their way through the clutter that covered every foot of the apartment to the small back room that held Dorian Corey's legendary costumes. In the back of the room was a long, green plaid hanging bag from the 60s. It was folded over on the floor under Dorian's orange witch's gown. Mm -hmm. I love a little witch's gown. I kind of wanted to see that witch's gown. I'm like, ooh. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't lift it because it was too heavy for me, Lois said quickly skipping to her own defense before returning to the point of the story. That's what I told the cops. I cussed them out, child. They said, if we find your fingerprints on it, I said, I'll tell you one motherfucking thing. You might see my hands on top of the damn thing, but I only weigh 135 pounds. I couldn't move that thing. Uh. (laughs) I loved it. And I love that we included this. Like... (laughs) I'm tell you one motherfucking thing. No, I'm you're not about to get me. I am delicate. I am petite. Petite. <laughs> okay. Uh, the suitcase was so heavy and overstuffed that Lois didn't even try to find the zipper. She just picked up some scissors and told one of the customers, cut it. As soon as he did, a horrible stink came out of the dusty fabric bag. That's when we called the police, Lois explained. Because, honey, I wasn't chancing it. Uh, we Lois is is down. Lois is she, us. Lois, Lois is me. I don't know about that 135 pounds part, but Lois is me. Lois said, "No, we're not doing this. Mm-mm. There's a stink, Mm-mm. and it's hit- we're calling Mm-mm. the police right now." Um, she said, "I'm not chancing it." Mm-hmm. Did you see how the body was wrapped? 
No, 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 child, she said. After the cops came, I didn't go back there. You look at something like that, honey, that's something you won't get over for the rest of your life. Oh, see, I would have looked. You would have looked? I 100% would have looked. You know I would have been right right behind those cops, like straining over their shoulders trying to see. I would have to know. I would want to know, too. I'd be like, mm, yeah, absolutely. What it look like. what, one that? of us would be on one side and the other one would be on the other. We'd be like, what? what, what? Who? What's in a bag? <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> we would be nosy yes. AF. Yes. Um, Got to get this content for this show. <laughs> so it was a tale born for tabloid headline writers. No trick or treat, just a mummy and suitcase, read the New York Newsday headline two days later. They could have done better with that. They really could have. <laughs> they could have done better. I love how better. we set that up to be like this amazing headline and then like, it, it just it doesn't seems, even rhyme. It seems it feels disjointed, like it right? Rhyme. Yeah. It seems like no trick or treat. No treats. Just, just tricks. tricks. Or well, maybe that's that. Maybe that's a headline for something else. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just a mummy yeah. in suitcase. We couldn't even say in a suitcase. I don't know. It's weird. Is it really a suitcase though? Because it's like a fabric bag. It seemed as well. to me like it was like, like a garment seemed, bag. Right. Which which which? If you have dealt with garment bags, I don't know where Miss Dorian yes. got her garment bags from. But I would love to see a garment bag strong enough to hold up a full like full size man. For real. Because mine be breaking all the time and tearing and ripping and pissing me off. Sounds like that good quality fabric bag. Mm-hmm. It was green plaid. Maybe it was Scottish. Built Scottish strong. Built strong. <laughs> to hold your dead husband until you die so nobody finds him. We'll keep you secret. <laughs> I love that marketing campaign you've got going on. Scottish textile. We'll keep your secret. <laughs> so the story, which mentioned nothing about Dorian Corey, reported that a, quote, partially mummified body had been found in a suitcase in a Harlem apartment. The body was that of a man wearing ragged boxer shorts and one sleeve of a t-shirt. He had been shot in the head. Slowly, the story began Damn. to circulate. Is it is just it... me or did like everybody else expect him to be in like a fucking three-piece suit? No. Like, I definitely imagined him in like a tux. In dinnerware? Formal dinnerware? He just said, yes. I imagined him to be in like this fancy, schmancy, like 60s tux. But like fucking nah, girl. He was in box striped box striped boxers, boxer shorts. Just like <laughs> he had to be a straight man because all these straight men walking around in these raggedy ass boxer Don't shorts. Those... If you're a boxer, straight men. <laughs> I know this is not the episode for you, baby. This is not. This is not for you. But I know some of y'all out here listening to this podcast. If your boxers have a hole in them, throw them out, sugar. Throw them out. For Get real. you some new. For real. And you know what? You look at those, you see those holes in there, and then, you know, you're just like, he had those when he, those holes were there when he died. That's not a product of like. No. No. That's not, know. that's not decomposition. That's not decomposition. He was, he was he walking around raggedy ass looking. Oh, nasty ass. I love that they put that, wearing some ragged boxer shorts mm-hmm. <laughs> and one sleeve of a t shirt. Not, you, you just got one sleeve. That might have been decomposition. <laughs> I ain't never known. I ain't never known a man walk around with one sleeve on. One that sleeve seems, of a That t-shirt. seems next level. Yeah. So slowly, the story began to circulate on the club scene. Uh, the body had been found at Dorian's. Gossip columnist Richard Johnson picked up the rumor. What a name, Richard Johnson. 
Dick Johnson. Dick Johnson. <laughs> Hi, my name's Dick Johnson, and I'm on the story. I'm on the case. You know, he had some damn raggedy-ass boxers on, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, probably. <laughs> Underneath his brown, sensible suit. Uh-huh. Professorial. With a, with a pocket protector in the, oh, in the front of it for his pen. Not a pocket protector. Because he was like an old-school journalist. Okay, this story is and not a about him. Okay. There's too much. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much detail on him. All right, so Richard Johnson picked up the rumor that there was a connection between a mummified body and the famous six-foot-two-inch drag queen. And on December 17th, he ran the story in the New York Post's page six. Johnson heard that some of Corey's, quote, cross-dressing friends were looking for Halloween costumes and came upon the body in a heavy trunk, wrapped in saran wrap and packed in baking soda. Where you need some lime. And not for the drinks. We talking about lime. lime. With a Y. With a Y. Lime with a Y, not an I. Actually, it might also be spelled with an I as well. I think it can be spelled either way. Anyway. It'll hide the smell. <laughs> It'll hide the smell, yes. So when Johnson Rita asked... Rose for Emily, at me. When Johnson asked police how long the body had had been in storage, <laughs> as if it's like a piece of furniture that's like, that someone's selling and then, you know, someone's going to go buy and check it out. And it's like, it's just been in storage for a moment. So he's a piece of furniture somebody's been paying $125 a month yep. to keep in a storage unit. Right. How long has it been in storage? <laughs> Um, they said, quote, anywhere from seven months to 20 years. The police who said that Corey left no note or diary to explain the body uh, had identified the victim as Robert, Robert Wells. Uh, Corey's friends, I think that was a different name than I said. Uh, it was Robert. Robert. We're going to call him Robert. Okay, so I think I had a different it. last name when I said it earlier, but I'm not going to go back and correct that. Corey's friends told Johnson that she had left a note that said, quote, this poor man broke into my home and was trying to rob me. The next day, the Daily News ran a short AP story. Drag queen left mummy behind. The headline read. A little bit better. Direct. I like it because it's not trying to be anything that it's not. A little bit better, yeah. It said Wells, who had a history of arrests for rape, burglary, an assault had last been seen by his family in 1968. It also said his body had been wrapped in imitation leather. Nothing. Damn. Mm, what I a mean, shame. Imitation you know what? If, if, look, if it goes that way and you got to carry me around in a trunk for several decades, wrap me in the good stuff, sugar. I have earned it. I have earned it, babe. Not that imitation Give me leather. that real, real, real leather. If you can't afford that, get get you know get tool. tool. I, that's tool. exactly what I'm gonna wrap your that's ass what in. That's what I some wanted. That's what I want. Wrap so, me in some tool. <laughs> Nothing new had been written about this magnificently bizarre case by the time I came to the story. I being the person writing this. Genie. Genie. I was certain that since the two people who most likely knew what had happened were dead, there was no solving this murder. But I could take a trip through Dorian Corey's world and try to come up with something. At the very least, it would be a lark, a quintessentially New York lark. I could just make some shit up. <laughs> and so I did. And so I did. <laughs> this this podcast? Pretty much, honestly. 
I began with Sergeant Alfred Travers, the commanding officer of the 26th Detective Squad, and Detective John Rowe, who worked the case. Again, here we are with these names. These just seem like two aggressively straight men who have been called into a whole situation. But aren't they like... That they just have not been prepared for at all. If you were thinking of names for like detectives, like weren't the... What, like that's like the first thing that would come, in, come up in Google. Yeah, like they were born and then the doctor Alfred. was like, what's their name? And the mom said John Rowe and he was like, all right, he's going to be a detective. And then they just slapped the badge on him at that point. <laughs> like... Alfred Travers and John Rowe on the case. <laughs> Travers and Rowe. Travers and Rowe Associates. <laughs> Travers and Rowe, we gonna book that hoe. There you go. Oh, God. Okay, so they worked the case. Travers didn't get it. Uh, quote, let me kind of lay down the ground rules, he said sternly. Uh, okay. <laughs> sure. He said, let me lay down the ground rules. Sitting in his corner office, off the worn detective's room on East 126th Street, Travers was trim, balding, ramrod stiff. Jeannie, honey, I've... has it been a while? I was like, what? Ramrod stiff. The Jeannie, fuck? girl. I... He was thin, balding. <laughs> And had a hard cock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh. Interesting. Uh, quote, this is a current active investigation, and I am not at liberty to discuss active investigations besides the basic information. Got it. She said, even yes, though sir. it's about a mummy. <laughs> Travers just stared at me. Oh. <laughs> Quote, uh, she said, do, did you Are there see- separate rules for mummies? I like, I'm not really sure what her fucking point was <laughs> Even there. though it's about a mummy. I mean, are there separate rules for that? That's probably is what it- he was thinking as he stared body? at her like, <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> he gave her that Mick Taylor like. The fuck? Look down like, bitch, I am going to fucking buoy knife your neck right now <laughs> if you don't fucking get out of my fucking... Travers and Rowe Associates. That's why John Rowe handles the the communications. Travers Travers just stares at people. He just stank eyes. Yeah. Rowe's the good cop. Got it. I would be Rowe. (laughs) You'd be Travers. I would be Travers. I'm not giving you no information. Get out. Uh, She said, did you ever see Paris is Burning? He said, it's not on my list of home movies. Yes. I don't think, I don't think, again, again, I don't think that he is really in the scene. Do you see you why know, I wanted there's to There's the re- scene happening here, and then he's outside of that. Do you see why I wanted to read this, yes, though? I yes. was like. This is the whole vibe. I mean, I'm just loving, you just read this whole article for this episode. Right. That's, that, well, that's what I fucking plan to do. <laughs> um, I'm in it. I'm in it. It's descriptive storytelling. Thank you, Jeannie. We appreciate you. <laughs> it's not on my list of home movies. John Rowe with his graying hair and slightly round belly (laughs) tried to help. I told you he was going to be a good cop, right? He is. He is. He's trying to be helpful. I told you. I appreciate that. Uh, He said, Lois made the call at 11 a.m. She was one of her roommates, goes by the stage name Lois. We responded to the apartment. 
They'd lived there about five years. We found the body in a large garbage bag in a suitcase. She asked, how was it wrapped? Travers cut off Roe. It's an active investigation, he said. Oh. Oh. A spat. A spat between partners. She says, they gave me very little. Roe said they identified the body through fingerprints. He told me that Bobby, as he called the corpse, uh, was born on December 18th, 1938. His real name was Bobby Worley. Oh, no, I did get that name right. His, Because his, I said Worley previously before going into this article. Um, see, I, I, I can do things right. You got it. I You're doing a great a job. You're doing an excellent job. Um, Bobby Wells was an alias. Contrary to early reports, his only arrest was for raping and assaulting a woman in 1963. He served three years. Roe showed me a mugshot taken at the time of the arrest. Bobby looked like a small man. He was wearing a gray overcoat over what looked like a light-colored bathrobe. Interesting not quite the Not quite make. the suit, huh? I mean, I guess when you're like, you know what that is. That's the quarantine. I got to run <laughs> out to the store and get something. Mm. That's that quarantine life. Or when An they just open the drive-thru. Over a bathrobe. Yeah. Hmm. When it's like a little chilly, but you, you're just I trying to stay comfy. Like, wouldn't you just have one or the other, though? But I guess... I'm- I think there's some shame in the bathrobe there. I think we're, I think we're trying to... We're trying to... To cover that up. Ah, uh, okay. Unfortunately. Well... We're not succeeding. He had a long, narrow face, glasses, a thin mustache, and curly hair close to his head. Mm-hmm. Roe wouldn't tell me how long the medical examiner believed the body had been dead... But he was willing to give me the name of the fingerprint expert on the case, a Raul Fig- Figueroa. Figure- mm, Raul. Raul is his name. Raul. And he was willing to give me the name of Bobby's brother, Fred Worley, and his address in Washington Heights. Now, Travers said that the strange thing about Mr. Wells is we have him released from Sing Sing in 1966 visiting his brother, and that's the last anyone saw him. With both people dead, I said, isn't this just going to sit around unsolved? It was the wrong question to ask Alfred Travers. <laughs> Look, Travers is on it. He's he's going to cross it off the list. He's on it. What did he say? He probably said, get the fuck out. <laughs> it was the wrong question. He said, no. Why do you think this is a tougher one than any others the Detective Bureau has cleared? She said, I guess you don't think so. He says, no, I don't. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. I waited a few days and called back to talk to John Rowe. I tried to get more out of him about how the body had been wrapped. It was just plastic bags, he said. What about the AP report of imitation leather, I asked. It's bogus, he said. What about the gun? I think it was a twenty-five, he said unconvincingly. Clearly, he wasn't going to be the one to give me anything, but he'd be happy if someone else did. Call Raul, he said. So, okay. Yes. Um, so, Raul 
was delighted to talk about the case. Yes, you know he fucking was. As soon as I heard that motherfucker's name, I knew he was gonna he was gonna give us what we need. Come on, Raul. It. He's gonna serve it to you. Come through. You just gotta take him to a restaurant, give him a little bit of wine, get him get him to open up a little bit, uh-huh. and we'll have all these details. Uh huh. So he, uh, an amiable, outgoing detective assigned to the missing person squad in the medical examiner's office near Bellevue Hospital. He picked up the story where Lois Taylor had left off. The first thing the body was wrapped with was a naugahyde-like material, he said, with tape around it. It was that cheap brown material that they make fake leather jackets out of. Mm. Then I think there was some other material around it. Then they put it in plastic bags. Raul said that the body was halfway between mummified and decomposed. When you have all this wrapping, no air is getting to it, he explained, but it is still losing liquid out of its body, so the body sort of floats in its own soup. (laughs) The skin was in very bad shape. It was like very old fabric. If you touch it, it's going to fall apart. Raul spent uh, seven days treating the skin so he could take ten fingerprints off it. What did you do? And he goes, listen to this. I try not to give away trade secrets. (laughs) But here I am going to give away all of the trade secrets. Love it. He goes, I I try not to give away trade secrets. Step one. (laughs) Because of other fingerprint people. I invented something. Shouldn't we fucking be trying to give that out, though? Shouldn't we be trying to, you know, clear I mean, some of these maybe. fucking cases? What is he going to do? He's think he's going to get it patented first? Like, I mean, <laughs> I think this is information we should go ahead and, like, disperse Share to the, you know, uh, fucking crime people. The dis- you the police? <laughs> the police, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. The criminal justice, uh, like, no, whole the, uh, system. The people who, like, saw the forensics people. Got it. Yeah. Yep. Forensic files. Forensics. Yes. Um. But he says that. Uh. Oh shit. I lost my. Play. He said I invented something. There's a way of hardening the skin, making it sort of like leather. Because when you have an unknown body, you usually need all ten digits to make a match. The most exquisite detail I got from Raúl was the tale of the flip of the flip tops. When they pulled apart all the layers of wrapping. Out fell little rings from old flip-top beer cans, the detachable kind that haven't been used since the 70s. This convinced Raul that Bobby Worley died at least 15, maybe as long as 25 years ago. The doctor put that it could have been dead 1 to 15 years so as not to commit himself until we had all of the proof, Raul said. But given the fact that the brother hadn't seen him since the late 60s, plus the fact that Nagahide was popular in the 70s, plus the rings, it was obvious. Yeah. I asked Raul if he thought the person who wrapped the body in imitation leather was trying to emulate the Egyptians. I thought it possible that Dorian Corey was into high camp with dead bodies as well as live ones. I don't think so, he said. People just wrap a body in whatever's available. It's just spontaneous. You wrap it up, then you put it in a suitcase, then you put it in the closet, then you just look at it periodically and wish it would go away. Does that just typically... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think that... Mood. I mean, I can't speak for myself. Um, I mean, it does sound like what I do with my problems, but... uh... 
I don't, I don't, I haven't really gotten to uh-huh. a place of doing that with people. I feel like he normalized that a lot to I, a level that I'm uncomfortable with. I thought so too. I was like, hmm, huh. is it what they do? Is it, do, do a lot of folks do that? How many, how many dead bodies do you find in a, in a, <laughs> in a drag queen suit? I mean, it sounds like this isn't the first fucking one that he was like experimenting on because he done got a whole right. patent for his fucking skin hardening technique. I'm, I'm kind of into Raul's. His, you know what I mean? But like, I, I'm kind of into him as like a character in this story. I'm into all of these characters. <laughs> um, He just seems like he, yeah, he just seems like he would be pretty cool. Um, And just willing to give all the information away. Yeah, I, I, I'd date him <laughs> for the info. So Sally's 2 is the bar on West 43rd Street where Dorian Corey performed up until several months before her death. It sits almost directly across the street from the New York Times. At four on a Thursday afternoon, I walked up the small circular stairs where a sign still advertises Dorian Corey's Drag Doll Review. An aging bouncer with short silver hair told me I could find Dorian's friends in the coffee shop attached to the Hotel Carter next door. Sitting in a small booth was Tracy, a tall, chunky drag queen in a short, dark green skirt, a purple jacket, and gold lame sandals. Fit on point. That's what I'm thinking. She was talking to Vivian, a short, red-haired drag queen in a black bodysuit and black tights. You're Vivian. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They were ordering French fries with ketchup. It, is this us in the story? I like a side of ranch. I'll be real, but maybe it was on the way. Maybe it was on the way. Uh, Dorian, she just helped you laugh. Forget your problems, Tracy said. She was everybody's like, she searched for just the right word, angel. What about the body? It was a shock to everybody, Tracy said. I've been well, to the, I fucking I mean, bet I, it was, I, girl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a shock to everybody, Tracy said. I've been to that apartment many times to be fitted. She sewed for all of us. They gathered up their french fries and walked over to Sally's. In the front room was a circular wooden bar covered with a dark red canopy. In the center of the canopy was a small blue spotlight shining down on a pale white Buddha. Tracy took a seat at the bar, and Vivian went behind the bar to start setting up for the day. Slowly, the place began to fill with a half-dozen men, most of them in informal work clothes. Suddenly, Paris Dupree, who staged the Paris's Burning Ball that gave the film its name, rushed in. I'm exhausted, she said. Also you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exhausted. I really uh, I just left Brown University yesterday. I'm on a college circuit tour. Would she tell me about Dorian? I know her name was Frederick, she said, handing out one small morsel, then nothing more. But I don't want to talk. For her, mem- for her memory, I owe it to Dorian. After Vivian had set up her cash register and filled the white Bacardi rum containers with red and green swizzle sticks, she poured sugar into a clear plastic cup and sprinkled the sugar around the door to 43rd Street and the door to the hotel. Then she sprinkled sugar over her shoulders. It's for good luck, for sweetness, she said. 
over the jukebox, Frank Sinatra uh, crooned. Uh, apparently some song where he says, I've lived a life that's full. And then a customer said, full of shit. Is <laughs> what someone apparently grumbled in the background. Got it. <laughs> Who's that guy or person, girl? Uh, who are they? I asked Vivian and Tracy if they had ever heard Dorian talk about a Bobby. No, they both said. Are there any rumors, any theories? Probably he abused her, Vivian said. A date or some guy she was stuck on. That happens a lot, honey. I've been having an affair with someone for eight years. He's abused me. Child, he came in here the other night. You should have seen it. He had the cops. He said, she beat me. Then he said, she's my wife. Then he said, she's a man. Vivian shook her head at the, at the sorry state of the world. Over the next few days, I talked to Jenny Livingston, the Yale art major who made Paris's Burning, and to Brian Lantelme, a photographer who was close to Dorian Corey. They were able to fill in a few pieces of Dorian's life. She was born and raised near Buffalo and liked to talk about the eight years she spent there on a farm. She first started doing drag in Buffalo, Lantelme said. She worked at a department store there doing window displays. She came to New York in the 50s to study art at Parsons. Dorian was a great wit, Livingston said. She'd talk about movie dialogue, play Scrabble, say a string of nasty things about various people, which made you wonder what she was saying about you when you weren't in the room. She loved to tell stories about traveling up and down the eastern seaboard with the Pearl Box Review. She was the snake dancer, Livingston said. She had long and hilarious stories about what it was like to travel with a boa constrictor. What about the body? I shot her in both old and new apartments, Livingston said. Living where Dorian lived, it's very likely she had a gun for protection. When we were shooting, a gun battle erupted on the street. Dorian just said, gunfight at the OK Corral. But I have absolutely no idea whether she did it. My main feeling is one of bafflement. Can you see her wrapping the body and tucking it away? I absolutely can't, she said. At Sally's a few days later, the only new girl at the bar was calling herself Topaz. She was dressed in old charcoal gray jeans and a gray Raiders t-shirt and a cheap, dark, curly wig. I look a mess today, she said. She would talk about Sally's and drag queens and Dorian. She said, as long as I could see my way to buying her a deluxe cheeseburger and a drink. <laughs> I love that. We'll talk about anything as long as you can see my way over to buy me a fucking deluxe cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. How about that? Bless. Buy and that's me that me. deluxe cheeseburger, please. And thank you. So we went to the coffee shop where we were joined by another Paris, a tall, six feet without my heels, pale-skinned young drag queen carrying a fake Chanel bag. You ain't got to clock her on that in this story. You ain't, it must I'm have been a bad eye. fake if Jeannie could see I'm it, sad too. Eye. You ain't got to. You ain't got to clock her. Don't tell secrets. She had just, what kind of bag you got, Jeannie? Right. What kind of bags you got besides the ones under your eyes? Reading. (laughs) She had just arrived in New York from Roanoke, Virginia. Topaz finished her food and headed back to the bar for her vodka and tonic. Then she and Paris showed me the show floor behind the bar. It was a small room with a black and white tile floor and a black box for the performer. 
Silver discs were suspended from the ceiling. Dorian Corey performed there for the final time last May at Sally's own Grammy Night. She was named, named Entertainer of the Year and came out in a white marabou coat and a white gown dripping with pearls and lip-synced Regina Bell's If I Could. In September, the memorial service for her was held on the same floor. You'd think they have a picture of Dorian, really, Paris said, for all she did for this place. They should have immortalized plaster cocks for everyone who's gone, Topaz said with a shrug. <laughs> then Topaz and Paris decided to take me on a tour of the neighborhood. We walked through the Hotel Carter, whose deserted, deserted lobby was filled with faux Japanese touches. It's the ghost motel, honey, Topaz said. The ghost motel. Mm-hmm. I love that we added that in. <laughs> the ghost. I want to know more about that. The Ghost Motel. They said that many of the drag queens live there and take the tricks to their rooms, something the hotel manager denied. Quote, he says, there's no guests allowed, he said. No guests. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I don't know nothing about it. He he said, I don't know nothing about it. Ain't no guests allowed Mm -hmm. here. Ain't no guests Mm -hmm. allowed. No. They are terrible, Paris said. They charge you $60 the first time you bring a trick to your room, then $20 every other time. And the rooms aren't even clean. There are used condoms all over. I don't think we want to know more about this ghost motel. Maybe we don't. We finally got around to the subject of Dorian. The last time I saw her was five years ago, Topaz said. She had decided to give me a little something in return for for the cheeseburger and vodka. I can tell you now, child, because they're all gone. My cousin had shot her lover, and I had to bring Dorian the gun. Mm. Mm. We've added a layer here. It was a twenty-two, honey, silver. They were good friends, and she had to get rid of it, and Dorian bought it. Did you know the mummy was shot in the head, I asked her. What mummy? You don't know? No, I don't. Oh, well. Are you serious? Allow us to tell you. Well, let me tell you the reason why I'm fucking talking to you right Uh. now. Bobby Worley's brother, Fred, turned out to be a small, charming, unfailingly courteous man in his early 60s. He lived in the basement apartment of a building on Edgecombe Avenue where he was the superintendent. It was a once handsome building with apartments with wainscoting and parquet wood floors. Worley and Bobby were from a family of seven children. Their father, Eddie, Sr., took care of the ice plant for the city of Fairmont, North Carolina, where most of his family still lives today. Bobby was the baby of the family. Fred Worley came to New York with his wife and young son in 1956. His brother followed sometime later. I didn't even know he was here at first, Worley said. He didn't come right to me. Bobby Worley was released from Sing Sing in August of 1966. Sometime after that, in 1967 or 1968, he came to live with Fred Worley and his family in the Bronx. By that time, he had changed his name to Bobby Wells and fathered a son. Worley tried to talk to his younger brother about his, quote, lifestyle choices, but liquor got in the way. He used to drink vodka straight from the bottle. It was an everyday thing, according to his brother. After about three months, Bobby Worley disappeared. He got attracted to a woman who lived next door, Fred Worley said. They had a run-in, and he roughed up one of her kids a little bit, a boy about seven. 
She said, I'm going to call the police. When he heard the word police, he took off. That was the last time I saw him. Almost 25 years later, Fred Worley got a call saying his brother had been found dead. Did it surprise him? Not really, he said. Mm -hmm. I stayed in the same place another seven or eight years, and my family stayed in the same place. So when none of us heard from him, we figured something had befallen him. After they got word about his body, they let the city bury their brother in Potter's Field on Hart Island. Do you know if he ever got involved with, we say transvestites here, but pretty sure we're referring to trans people. Uh, I asked, not expecting the answer I got. Oh yes, he said matter-of-factly. I think they had a relationship, he and his transvestite. I didn't know this was in him. Mm. I didn't know... Hmm. I didn't know this was in him until one night when he was living with me. He was obviously stewed. He called our house well after midnight thinking he was calling his friend, and he talked and and talked, and I listened. Did she have a name? Yes. Yes. He was searching for the name, but not coming up with it. Dorian? Dorian, that was it. That is who he thought he called. You're absolutely sure? I was afraid he was trying to tie up all of the pieces. I'm absolutely sure about that. Hmm. Absolutely? Yes. From what I gathered, Worley said, they had had a little spat, and my brother was trying to put some emollient? I don't What's that word? Emollient? On the problem. E-M-O-L-L-I-E-N-T. I don't know. Mm, interesting. I'll look that up after the show. I asked if it was possible his brother had tried to beat her up. I think he was pretty macho, yes, he said. I'm pretty sure that he acted out his violence with her, but I have no first-hand knowledge. Maybe he went too far once? That could be, he said. That very well could be. Brian Lentelme told me that Pepper LaBeja, who was one of the only drag queens still alive who knew Dorian back in the 60s, Pepper, the tall, angular queen in the blue and silver striped sequin dinner dress in Paris's Burning hosted the annual Harlem Fantasy Ball with Dorian Corey. Pepper, who has a son, 19, and a daughter, 17, quote, to please my mother, I took a little break from being a 24-hour drag queen, was living with her mother in the Bronx. If you call and get his mother, until May cautioned, don't call him a she. Mm. Mm. Pepper was ready to work this mystery over in her mind. I asked her if she ever knew a Bobby. No, she said. The only so-called husbands of Dorian's I ever knew was Eddie and then Leon. Leon, he's only been around a few years. Eddie was around until the late 70s when he ran away with all her ball money. Honey, he broke her heart. For a second, I wondered if Bobby Worley could have taken his father's name, Eddie, but she quickly ruled that out. He was light-skinned and his pinky finger was missing. Hmm. Then what about the body? Child, that's what I don't understand. I used to be in her basement apartment on St. Nicholas. She lived there before she moved to 140th Street. Honey, it was damp and dank and I never smelt nobody. I have been in buildings where I smelt dead bodies and I never smelt it. The detective asked me about Miss Lois. I've heard tales about her, honey. Could it possibly be she did it? But I thought about it. Where would Miss Lois keep a body for 15 years? 
Pepper said the police had asked her to come down to the precinct to look at mugshots of Bobby Worley, but she had never gotten around to it. Now you've aroused my curiosity again, honey, she said. I'm definitely going to go see it. Shit, go right ahead. Leon Mercer was dutifully waiting for me outside the old, worn, wood-paneled Nino's restaurant and bar on Canal Street next door to the A1 House of Trophies, where he works. A small, pale, childlike man of 35 with a goatee and tangled mustache, he met Dorian at an old bar called The Grapevine when he was 18 years old. They became lovers in the late 80s and lived together about 10 years. It tore me up so much when she died, he said. She made me laugh. Every now and then I look back at her picture. I start crying. I didn't want her to go. We didn't even spend the last Thanksgiving or Christmas together. He was eager to talk about Dorian's sickness and death like someone who was still in mourning. Mm. Lois had her cremated, he said. It was what she wanted. We took her ashes up to City Island. Off City Island, far out, there's a big ocean out there. We went fishing one year. I caught two baby blackfish, so we went by the pier and scattered her ashes. I asked him about the body, but he had no new clues. I didn't smell anything in that closet, he said. Neither did my dog Prince. He's a German shepherd. Did Dorian say anything? No, Dorian never said anything. He sounded confused and agitated. They came to my job and told me about it. I said, why do they come ask me questions? It was obvious from the beginning that Lois Taylor was the most important person to find. She was the keeper of the estate, so to speak. If there was a letter, she was the one who had probably found it. But she was also, everyone said, the most skittish. After all, she had found the body. As soon as I had talked to Jenny Livingston, I placed a call to Lois, saying that Jenny had suggested I call. Honey, I'm feeling sickly myself, she said. I was sure it was an excuse. Then Leon told me she had just spent 12 hours in Bellevue. I called her again. She had, quote, a cold she couldn't shake. We couldn't meet, but we could talk on the phone. Basically, I never really got close with Dorian until 1988 after my mother passed. Honey, when you lose your mother, that's a great loss. Dorian, she stuck with me. When she got diagnosed, child, I couldn't walk away from her because if I did that, God wouldn't have blessed me. I said, Dorian, whatever it is, we'll stick it out. When Dorian was dying, Lois asked if she could get in touch with her family. She said, hell no. After she died, Lois found old letters in a file cabinet that Dorian and her mother, that Dorian and her mother wrote to each other when Dorian first came to New York. Her mother knew about her breast implants and everything, Lois said, but her mother never told the rest of the family. There was an old telephone number among the papers, and Lois had placed a collect call from, quote, Frederick. She got through to Dorian's sister. The sister told me they'd been looking for their brother for 30 years. So I said, whatever happened, you will have to ask your mother, she said. Mama's in a home, she said. What did my brother die of? I said pneumonia. I feel like this, honey. If the mother didn't tell it, who am I to open up my mouth? I asked if Dorian ever spoke of a Bobby. No, no, none, she said. Could he have been a man in her life? It could have possibly been, honey, who knows. The cops showed me a picture. I never seen that ugly face. I read that he was a robber 
and a rapist. I said, oh my God, please. Was there any letter? Not that I know of. Then, without missing a beat, it was a thing I gave to the police. She was writing a story. It said something about how he wanted her to have a sex change. It said something about revenge, and revenge wound up in murder. She was writing about things like the Pearl Box Review, and then about this. Was it written by hand? Yes. On what kind of paper? Yellow paper, and I can tell you that this paper was old. Did it say anything else? No. She said she wanted her to have a sex change. She said he wanted her to have a sex change, and then she wrote revenge and murder, and she put a question mark. It was like she was writing a story, honey. Like murder, she wrote. But I don't know. The way this shit was written out, I know it clarified me. Do you think that's what happened? Lois paused. Honey, the boy's gone, right? She's gone, right? So don't nobody knows but her and the boy. So if they want to find out, they better do a seance and have them come down and ask them. And now we're going to seance the spirits <laughs> of... Yeah. Interesting. And that's the end, And that was sort of the, the end of the article. Very interesting. So Lois says that there's some document that... Uh, Dorian wrote out in her handwriting. Yeah, so that, apparently it's and she apparently gave it to the police that it was a. Um, she says that it was a story that Dorian was like she was writing a a, a fictional story, I guess, mm-hmm. or something that she was writing, and that you know it talked about. It just seemed like it related really close to like home it for Dorian. Super close, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then talking about revenge and murder. Um, but that's kind of where the, th- you know, everything has been left off. They were never able to really find anything to sort of, um, pinpoint why. I mean, could he have been, I think that it was very likely that he was a, um, that he had a relationship with Dory, Dorian, and, you know, obviously something, something violent happened, right? But, and then it's also weird because if you're thinking about the suitcase, like, what were those beer tops doing in there? Yeah, that seems weirdly careless. But then again, you have the, you have the fingerprint expert, Raul, saying that, you know, that kind of painting a picture of this doesn't necessarily happen in like a premeditated type way. Right. It kind of just all comes together. So is it like sort of this sloppy thing of you wrap it in whatever you had and then the 70s, um, that imitation leather was really popular and so they used that. But then why are you tossing beer beer pop tops in? Was it a situation where you needed to get drunk in order to wrap up the body like that and mm-hmm. store it away? Because there are situations where... Um, when we see dismer- dismemberments uh, following a murder, often people get drunk in order to have the ability, in order to get past like the emotional block to be able to do that. Right. So is it a situation of, you know, maybe she needed to get drunk in order to wrap or whoever was wrapping up the body and that was like just part of the process or, you know, I, I mean, it kind of... And then the piece of writing is that, did that happen beforehand or did that happen after the fact? Is that something that, like, we're looking back and kind of processing through in the written format, trying to process 
what happened. Right. You know? To me, it seemed like we we already, from the evidence given, this man was an alcoholic, right? Right. Um, so for me, it seemed like it might have been an instance where they were together in her home and mm-hmm. maybe he had been drinking mm-hmm. and maybe the beer tops were just evidence of him being there. And so they got thrown in with the bag. Yeah. As opposed to being, I don't know why you wouldn't just throw them away. Right. Why would that be mixed in? But that makes sense. Like maybe there was, maybe that is what kind of led up to whatever violent thing that happened. That's the, yeah, that's the initial impression that I got. Um, I don't know that. It doesn't sound like a situation where he came in and was trying to rob. Mm-mm. Like, it, it seemed like they knew each other. Um, There's too many breadcrumbs there yeah. to assume that they didn't. Yeah, to assume that they didn't. Um, I will say that it's weird that nobody ever, like, smelled anything this whole time. Especially the dog. And especially the dog. Like, that's a little odd to me. And then that kind of casts an, an awkward shadow on Lois who it was in the article was kind of like or it had been hinted at several times that like did she you know did she plant it there like was it hers did she plant it there but again who is why would she drag why would she drag this around for all of these years why would anyone drag it around for all of these years like why wouldn't you just dispose of the why wouldn't you do you dispose of the body. Uh, well, but then you have the issue of like by disposing of something like that, you are putting out into the world it's out of your control. outside of your hands, right? This evidence of this thing that you've done. Whereas if you hang on to it, then you you still have control right. of it. You know. Yeah. Um. So, and in a situation where you know maybe he wasn't necessarily up front maybe the victim wasn't up front with everybody about this relationship that he had and so you know if nobody knows that he's at dorian's house then if he doesn't show up anymore nobody's knocking on dorian's door yeah so it's kind of like the safest place to to hide the evidence is just in plain sight yeah but it is weird that the dog didn't smell anything. But that said, I mean, if you if you really hard, I mean, it sounds like they wrapped it in imitation leather, and then saran wrap, and then plastic bags, and all of that was in baking soda. So it kind of, I mean, it sounds like they did a a really whoever did it did a thorough job of kind of trapping all of that in there. So it's I, po- I mean, it's possible. It's, it's not entirely. Un, I mean, it, it's kind of unusual that the dog wouldn't have, especially that the dog wouldn't have smelled anything, but I guess it's not impossible. Yeah. I don't imagine that that would be a, would that be a one-time thing or would you have to keep applying like the baking, you know, like would you have to go back to it to prevent the smell, like keep applying baking soda and then like all of that? Or do you, was it just like a I don't a know. I mean, it's so long that like, I'm sure like it's such a long period of time. That they're thinking like fifteen or twenty years, that I I almost I almost would imagine that because it's partially mummified, you then would have less smell over time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, because with it, it's not like it's gonna solidly decompose for fifteen years straight. It's gonna at a, at a certain point, the parts that are mummified will be mummified, and you know. 
the rest of it will level out. I fucking guess. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't have know. a. I don't really. I'm not really like a mummy like in the fucking closet. Raul, fucking expert he would tell over you. Here. I don't know. Raul would tell your ass. He would tell you exactly how it would. Yeah, go. I have no idea. I do know. Like, I mean, I. I know that if you're trying to like hide a smell of like decay or anything like that with lime, you do have to kind of periodically put it down. Mm-hmm. But I would you have to periodically put it down for like 15 years because you have a decomposing body in your closet? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, um definitely. Um But yeah, that's that's the story of the um the drag queen with a mummy in her closet, honey. Like I thought that that was I did not know this um i definitely just wanted to i just kind of wanted to bring these topics up just to sort of help um you know give a voice to them and a slight insight into um into some of the lives of these people specifically in this documentary and the fact that like you know both of these people had you know these instances that were part of this documentary was just, um, I was like, wow. You know, like, I'm like. It's sort of an alternate reality to the reality that some of us live in where I'm sure that Dorian had a complicated relationship with police. I'm sure she had a complicated relationship with law enforcement. And it's it's quite possible, you know, this is the, experience for lots of drag queens not just back then but also now where if a violent altercation did ensue and that was sort of the triggering for this you know if she did let's say she allegedly shot him there's a reason behind why you wouldn't immediately then pull the police in or why you maybe didn't feel comfortable pulling them in in the first place was this the first incident of somebody getting violent like just like the story that that one um person told about the man who they'd been having an affair with for eight years and or a relationship with for eight years and they you know came in and accosted them with the police on their side right and they're trying to paint this picture which police are believing of you know something that's not true when in reality like they've been in a relationship with this person this is like an ongoing thing and so it kind of crimes like this and stories like this kind of highlight that alternate reality of, you know, what do you what do you do when you can't trust the police? When law enforcement right. is not something that is a helpful force for you, it's something that potentially could derail your entire life. Yeah. And even like at the beginning of the story when we're talking about Lois, who was already prepared to defend herself right. for the situation, right? Right. Which I mean, um, to be fair, I am a white woman and I, I'm I'm a white cis woman and I one hundred percent would have reacted exactly this fucking same way Lois did. Oh yeah. No ma'am. Something's yeah. off. I'm calling the police right now. I'm gonna do it in a very public way. I'm gonna go on Facebook Live and call the police. <laughs> I'm gonna have a recording. I'm gonna get this podcast up and running and y'all gonna hear me calling the police. I'm because a- what do we need? Alibi. Right. I'm information. Gonna you know. <laughs> I'm gonna let you know right here and now. This was not me. This was not me. Uh-huh. I have made a discovery this day. Yeah. But yeah, I just think that that's an yeah, like like you said, I think that that's an important highlight to just to just think about um, the lives of the people in the queer community. You know, back then and now, and how things are different, and how um, you know and how certain people have 
those privileges where they don't have to worry about, you know, things like the police or they feel more comfortable with things. Um, So I just kind of wanted to go into this story, which, again, like I said, Paris is Burning is very much about um, the glamour and the lifestyle that um, people in the queer community were trying to emulate because a lot of that wasn't accessible to them at that time. So they used what they could to, you know, elevate themselves in the best way that they can and celebrate themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, you know, there is an underlying, um, you know, difficulty and and, and tragedy, um, you know, to their lives sometimes. And it's, I just felt like, um, I just kind of wanted to bring these subjects up, so and talk about them. Yeah, it's not all beautiful. So that a lot of that beauty masks some pretty, pretty ugly uh, realities mm-hmm. of life on that scene. So, yeah. well, that so was fascinating. Hidden, I thought so too. I, I, I want to know what's love hidden. Love a mummy story. In I want to know what's hidden in y'all's closets. You'll never know. <laughs> You'll never know about mine, baby, because I'm, I'm not having an estate sale. For real. <laughs> honey, I love, she said, I'm not going to say y'all going to deal with that when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-uh. Bye. <laughs> I don't have time for this today. I don't yeah. have time for this next week. I don't have time for this 15 years from now. I got to go be fabulous in yes. my floor-length gold dress. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I hope he was an asshole and not like actually a decent person. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Sounds he, like the, he was a dick. I, think, he, I mean, we've got some some rape and assault charges on there, so yeah. I, I'm gonna assume. I'm not that. I'm not. I'm not that upset about it. I'm gonna assume no. So, <laughs> but yeah. You're so good. We're right. <laughs> All right. I, I've talked enough. It's time to fucking clean house it and is. clean our fucking closets out sweep, right now. We do. We got to clean these closets out. We got to sweep these floors. If you are interested in connecting with us online, you can find us on Instagram at the Haunted Heart Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the Haunted Heart. You can find us on Facebook. If you search the Haunted Heart Podcast, you'll find our Facebook page. If you will just give us a like, that would be fabulous. If you want to drop a five star review while you're there, that would just fucking do it tickle me uh happy you'll also find on facebook our closed facebook group it's closed for your privacy but we are welcoming to all kinds uh if you request to join either kenny myself or a member of our murder mod squad we'll approve you and then you can chat you can share spooky memes you can talk about the episodes you can talk about interesting cases uh with people who are much cooler than us so definitely check that out if you are not already in the facebook group we would love to meet you and see your bright beautiful face Mm -hmm. And lastly, if you are interested in supporting the show on Patreon, if you like what we do and you want to leave a little coin on the dresser for us, you can check us out at patreon.com slash the haunted heart. We have lots of different tiers. We have lots of different bonus material there and content for you. So if you have listened to all the episodes of the regular show and you just need a little bit more haunted heart in your life, that's where you can get it, honey. Oh, yes. Please do. And I think that's it. Is I that all of our swept socials? It. I think you Did swept I it? it, honey. I think that's tens across the board for oh, you. And nothing flat. Mm-mm. In nothing flat. We don't have any reviews to read this week. <laughs> yeah, so we get the fuck on it. No. Get get on it. No, seriously, if you want to le- leave a review of the show on your favorite podcast app, you can leave us a review on Stitcher. You can leave us a review. I don't think Spotify has reviews, but you can leave know. us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, just uh, let us know what you're fucking thinking. Uh, Drop yeah. them stars. Let us know what you're thinking. Fucking just just do it. Just do it. That's all I got to say. Just do it. 
So we're, we're gonna get sued by Nike. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, uh, we have to go deal with Nike cease and desist now. So until next time, stay fabulous, keep that head held high, and stay, stay spooky. spooky.